there are clerics out there who who would say, well, this is how we deal with it. We we teach them the word, but because I'm not academic, I'm not going to lie to your listeners. Some of the Bible I find very difficult because I have dyslexia. It doesn't come easy to me. Reading reading my own book doesn't come easy to me because I, I struggle. And that's just like the people on the estates. A lot of these people have, have problems with literacy. So you have to find another way. And, and our way is through practical, hands-on, talking, explaining. And, and I think they see something of Jesus in that. And that's fine for me. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Hello, you are listening to Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, and you've joined us for The Profile, where we sit down with a different Christian each and every week to find out more about their life, faith, and ministry. And I'm pleased to say my guest on the show this week is Father Alex Frost. He is the vicar of St. Matthew's the Apostle in Burnley. He was ordained in 2012 after a mixed career, working as a football referee, a manager at Argos, and a stand-up comic and uh father alex recently featured in a bbc documentary entitled the cost of covid one year on he's married and has three children he joins us on the show right now father alex thank you so much for being with us hi sam how are you i'm very good thank you it's great to be connected with you and talk a bit about your life and faith and i should have mentioned as well you've got a brand new book um coming out called our daily bread so we'll talk a bit about that as well um here on the show though we like to start at the beginning so can we go right back to the beginning and tell me a bit about life growing up for you in burnley yeah well i grew up in uh, in a little village uh, just uh, uh, just on the outskirts of town a place called Worsthorn. um uh, very rural, very pretty, very nice. Used to love helping out on uh, the farmer with the farmer, uh, dragging in hail bales in the summer, and uh, hanging around the the woods and just chilling out. I had a good set of friends as a kid growing up, and uh, but but never never really had any church connections at all. Really, as a boy, went went to the local school, and uh, yeah, just just enjoyed what other kids did at my age, watching Swap Shop in the morning and. Um, you know, and uh, going on the football with my with my dad in the afternoon. So yeah, no real kind of church connections as a as a young boy at all. And so, what were you interested in as a child, as a teenager? Did you have kind of aspirations or hopes for a, for a career? Some people have a very set idea as a teenager. This is what I'm going to do the rest of my life. Did you have that, or not so much? Really not. No, I really had a quite a troubled time at school. I, I really uh, me in uh, academia and. And school didn't have the best of relationships, and and um, I, I was uh, quite a regular truant. In fact, I think I held uh, the school record uh, for having uh, consecutive Wednesdays off, and went straight into work at the age of fifteen. I went to work for Curry's as a van assistant, helping delivering uh, fridge freezers, and uh, yeah. But my my interests really were were music. I've always been a fan of music. Uh, grew up uh, listening to, uh, being a fan of Elvis Presley, actually. As a young kid, it was, was a generation ahead of mine, but uh, I was given a lot of seven-inch vinyl records and uh, really uh, started to love rock and roll, but then uh, had a complete change of musical direction and got into kind of uh, synth, electronic synth music and was a huge fan, a bit of a new romantic as a teenager, following bands like uh, uh, The Cure, particularly Depeche Mode, a band who I, I followed all my life, really, and because because they're a band that, that created a lot of music with theological questions and 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 um, and lyrics, so so I love the ambiguity of of that band, and and it helped me explore my faith uh, later on in life, actually. So tell me a bit more about about faith. You mentioned that, that growing up you didn't have any kind of Christian background, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're not interested in spiritual questions. So so how did that? come about for you were you would you describe yourself as kind of searching throughout your teenage years or, or not so much well what what uh, the only kind of thing I can kind of allude to was that um, at school I was taught the Lord's Prayer so it was something that I would recite myself every, every night before I went to bed so so there was probably something there kind of a yeah I believe in God I believe this to be true and so I would recite the Lord's Prayer and then uh, going back to the band Depeche Mode, they released a, a song called Blasphemous Rumours. I'm sure some of your older listeners will will remember it. And it was a song very much uh, questioning uh, 
the authenticity of God and, and it really made me think about things. And, and I suppose from that age, I really did start thinking about, you know, what is out there, but never really to a point of uh, considering going to a church or exploring just just there as a very quiet kind of background noise, really, but but started listening to more music. You know, I became a fan of Leonard Cohen, again, with with deep kind of religious connotations to the music. Um, bands like the Sisters of Mercy, you know, and it, and it was really through music that, that my interest in faith evolved, really, other than, other than that, I can't really point to anything in particular. I do remember being uh, booted out of the Cub Scouts in the village of Worcestershire because I actually refused to go to the uh, the family parade it just wasn't for me and uh, and 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 was asked to to move on if it wasn't going to be part of my um my my commitment to the cub scouts as we talk today you are a vicar you've just released a book about your experiences in parish ministry so tell me a bit about what took you from a kind of uninterested i suppose teenager without a christian background to now becoming a vicar what changed well, as I, as I matured, as I got, got through my 20s and my 30s and had children, uh, I, I always kind of saw churches from a distance and always found them quite attractive, more aesthetically rather than spiritually. I always liked the, the look of a building, you know, and thought, oh, that's a fabulous looking building. Um, I remember actually being in, down in Norfolk on holiday and, and uh, outside Norwich Cathedral, and I was kind of really keen to go in. My wife was saying, well, go in if you want. And it was like, oh, no, I won't bother. And, and that moment passed me by. But but not long after, my uh, my eldest daughter started going to primary school and some of her friends were attending the Sunday school there. And she was oining in a little bit to say, can, can she go? And, and of course, you know, I was a little bit reluctant because that would mean probably me ending up in church. And uh, But I conceded and then uh, went to church while she did the Sunday school and... Um, after a couple of weeks, the vicar kind of collared me and said, oh, you're, you're a new faith. Would you like to come for coffee? And I was like, say no, say it's all right. No, I, 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 it's, it's fine, but no, thank you. But I, but I actually said, yes, okay. And uh, went round for a coffee. And I remember, I remember that day being really anxious about going, thinking he's going to ask me all these really strange questions. He's going to interrogate me and he's going to uh, make me feel a bit, crazy or whatever and uh, he, he was none of those things he was he was absolutely lovely a guy called Reverend Richard Adams who's now retired and uh, he was so kind and I remember he, he he clearly sussed out my knowledge was limited and and uh, he said to me have you ever read the bible I said no he said uh, do you oh, I remember him saying do you did you watch the vicar of Dibley he knew I had an interesting comedy as well I said yes I've um I've seen the Vicar of Dibley. And he said, do you know the theme music to the Vicar of Dibley? I said, I do. He said, well, that's, that's the 23rd Psalm. Um, he said, why don't, you, why don't you have a little look at the 23rd Psalm and perhaps we'll get together in a few weeks and uh, we'll just have another chat. And I, I almost couldn't say no. And, and so that's kind of, that was my introduction into um, uh, the Christian setting, I suppose. What happened next? Um, because presumably there, there came a moment for you where you think, well, hang on, if, uh, if I'm going to believe this stuff, I have to believe in things like the, the resurrection of Jesus or even that God exists. Was, was any of that a kind of intellectual hurdle for you? It, it was. I remember uh, Richard preaching one Sunday and he, he was kind of alluding to the fact that, you know, for, for, for us to be disciples of Jesus, we had to be prepared to give ourselves fully to, to God. And it, and it was a hurdle for me. I thought, well, I can give you an occasional Sunday and I can uh, perhaps help make the coffee, but to give my whole life to God. Well, uh, at that moment in time, that was quite a big ask. But uh, as the weeks went by, I was, I was observing people uh, going forward to receive communion and uh, there was something kind of missing for me. I was, I was there, but I wasn't participating at that journey. And that's how it kind of progressed. Really. I, I spoke to Richard about being baptised and, and I was baptised on the uh, first advent of Sunday in, in 2010. And within a few weeks of that, I was very keen to be confirmed. And, and it was kind of a very fast paced, um, kind of evolving life of becoming a Christian, really, which was brought much surprise and humour to people around me, you know, family and friends, uh, you know, I was known as Frosty back then. And 
there was like, oh, crikey, Frosty's going to be a Christian now. And it's like, oh, you know, and I, there was there was a little bit of ridicule, not not bullying, but just a bit of fun, you know, people taking the mickey. But, uh, you know, I, I felt very content at that point to be to be uh, exploring that that journey. Of course, with no intentions of being ordained, that, that really hadn't entered my ether, what your listeners might not be aware of, but I was actually pursuing a, a career in stand-up comedy at that time. And, and that was my intent was to, to uh, write and perform stand-up comedy, which I started by the time I was going to church. And what was the motivation for becoming a Christian? You know, I interview various people on this show and some people say they, they just had a kind of revelation of how they needed God and their life was was messed up you know I've, I've heard some pretty dramatic stories of people with addiction issues who say I need to come to God and get my life cleaned up it sounds like that wasn't quite your story it wasn't that you know you were you were homeless living on the streets and you you needed God in that kind of practical sense so what was the motivation of why why become a Christian yeah well the, it's a really good question because I you know I, I I wasn't going through any dramatic trauma in my life other than my father had been diagnosed with dementia and uh, I was trying to make sense of all that. And it was a pretty torrid time seeing my father go from being a real hero and role model of mine to, to losing his kind of bodily functions and everything. Um, but but that that didn't really feel like the calling to be a Christian. I, I think it was simply, I really enjoyed going to church. I really enjoyed the people that were around me. It felt like I was part of a, a really nice, friendly community and I really look forward to the the next Sunday coming round. I couldn't wait for it, and 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 it just evolved. And and I remember before, uh, getting really good mates with Reverend Richard, and we started walking dogs together. And uh, I was doing quite a lot of stand up comedy gigs at this point. And I remember walking along a river in Burnley, and and I just happened to say to Reverend Richard, uh, "What's it like being a vicar?" And he he just said, I wonder when you might ask that question. And it was like, whoa, that's a bit strange. <laughs> Why would you uh, think that? And um, and then I just started thinking, well, maybe I could be a vicar. But but at the back of my mind was a lot of self-doubt. Sam, I left school with, as I said earlier, school life was a real struggle for me. And so I left school with with no qualifications. I went straight into work and I really, really couldn't place myself in a place of academic study to to do what was required to become a priest. And and, uh, whilst that journey did happen, it it was fraught with troubles and and it wasn't really um, an an enjoyable experience for me. It was quite traumatic. Tell me more about that, because as you've hinted at, in order to become ordained in in the Church of England, and it's interesting because, of course, different denominations have different pathways to being a vicar, a a priest, a pastor. There are some churches where they don't Mm. require any um, academic qualifications. But as you say, in in the Church of England, there is a there is a theological study component. and, And as you've hinted at, that was difficult. So tell me a bit more about why that was why that was a difficult process for you and your reflections now looking back on that. So when you explore ordination in the Church of England, you go and see what's called a, a DDO or otherwise known as a Director of Ordinance. And the, the Director of Ordinance made it quite quickly uh, aware to me that, I, that there would be some rigorous academic study to negotiate. And he, he, I remember him asking me what I'd read lately. And I, and I said, well, I just finished uh, one of the diaries of Adrian Mole. That was about as far as my academic learning had got at that point. And... Uh, he sent me off to read some books, which I I, re- I really struggled. I, I've subsequently learned that I'm uh, dyslexic, but at that time I wasn't aware of that. And I was really concerned about the idea. And I enrolled on a very low-level course, probably equivalent to GCSE uh, study, and uh, which involves some essay writing. And uh, I remember, in fact, I've kept that very first essay that I wrote, and, and it it's dreadful. I mean, I can't lie, Sam, it is dreadful. Uh, and it, it, it failed dreadfully. And, and I remember thinking, well, if this is what it's like, there's just no way I can do this. I, I'm just not up to it. And, and I'd actually emailed, um, made an email correspondence with one of the tutors saying, I'm just not going to do this. Uh, 
And there was a lady who rang me up and said, I don't want you to stop. We can get you through this. I want you to really stick with it and we'll help you. And by the skin of my teeth, negotiated that initial course called Call to Serve. And from there, as you, as you progress, you know, that that is not the level required. You know, you need to be studying at degree level. And I find it a huge problem. And, and I was sent off to what's called the BAP, the Bishop's Advisory Panel, uh, the first time round, which was just a catastrophe from beginning to end. In hindsight, I was probably sent too soon, but uh, on an academic level, I, I was just way out of my depth. And so the initial Bishop's Advisory Panel came back and said, uh, no, uh, we don't recommend Alex for training, uh, but we want him to return in a year, which is unusual in the Church of England. It's normally no, and then come back in three or four years, but I was asked to return in a year. And during that time, I was asked to go and study um, with uh, Cumbria University on, as an independent student. And again, found it absolutely painful uh, really struggled and and, and eventually uh, the following year I, I got a recommendation but I, I really now in as, I, as I've been ordained a number of years I really reflect on that that time as quite torturous really and and I think it raises questions for the churches what we expect of ordained ministers what is what is the requirement what do you need to do what do you have to accomplish and if it is that you have to be academic, then that doesn't quite fit right to me. It doesn't quite fit right to the gospel of Jesus and who he calls. You know, uh, we've recently celebrated St. Matthew's Day. Uh, you know, Jesus called the tax collectors, he called the fishermen, you know, and I subsequently learned about uh, people in the Church of England who um, there used to be a, a college. I can't quite remember what it was called, but it, there was a college that was particularly for people who were of working class background and who, who struggled with academia. And uh, and that's no longer. And 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 um, so I think the church has got questions to ask about who it's calling and how they call people. You know, otherwise we just become a very very middle class kind of group of Christians. Really, we're not we're not serving the whole community, which which I think we should. And certainly, you could argue when it comes to the practical nature of ministry, we don't need or necessarily even want people with with PhDs on on food banks. We want people just going to get their hands dirty and get on with actually giving giving food to the poor um there's a, there's a practical nature to ministry that where the academic stuff is arguably not necessary or not important yeah i think uh you know the time of training the bit that i did enjoy during my training was the kind of the time where we weren't in the textbooks really you know kind of in the common room um on retreats or whatever actually having conversations with with people you know and i have to be really honest and uh, <laughs> I'm sure the academic, you know, I think if you're academic, brilliant, fabulous. I'm all for people uh, studying and enjoying studying. But if it's just not your bag, if you just not, you know, it's not the gift that God gave you, then then why pursue it? And 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 um, I, I just think I haven't really, of all that study that I did, and, and I did end up with a degree, and I am very proud of the degree I've got. I can't say I really use it much in my ministry. You know, they don't teach you how to... Uh, you know, like you say, help somebody out who's in a bit of a pickle, you know, who's having troubles, who've got issues of addiction, who's struggling for food or they've been evicted. We never got any of that, you know, and and, and people who, uh, the, some of the things that have arisen during the pandemic, you know, I often just say to people, they didn't teach me this at theology college. And and um, it does come down to practicalities. And, and uh, yeah, I, th I think there's a, there's a lot of room for learning in those areas. Hey, this is Sam. Really hope you're enjoying this conversation right here on the Profile Podcast today. Could you do me a favour right now? It'll take you just two seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. Just a couple of seconds to give us a rating is so, so helpful. It helps other people to discover the show as well. So if you could do that, we would so appreciate it. So you've been ordained now for, uh, for a decade, and I wanted to ask you a bit about... Um, gifts and where you kind of fit into that because it's interesting speaking to a number of pastors you you learn quite quickly that some people are more gifted say in evangelism um in getting out there and spreading the good news particularly good preachers other people are more gifted in pastoral ministry other people are more gifted in setting big vision and uh, and what have you learned about yourself in the past decade in terms of 
these are the gifts God's given me. This is my, if I can put it in these terms, my USP, my unique selling point. This is this is kind of where I'm really fruitful. And this is the kind of lane God's really given me to run in. As the book alludes to, I worked for Argos for 20 years. And, uh, you know, I, I saw pretty much every walk of life at Argos, you know. I saw customers kicking off. I saw shoplifters trying to run off. Um, I saw people fighting on collection counter on Christmas Eve you know, real practical kind of down-to-earth stuff. And and so maybe it shouldn't be too much of a surprise to myself that that's where I really love my ministry on the periphery of our urban estates in Burnley and really chatting to people who are really uh, perhaps seen as, as uh, broken, uh, people living in poverty, people who are destitute in many cases. I, I, I feel very comfortable in that arena now and I, I love walking through the estates with my dogs. I don't feel any fear. I just love meeting the, the colourful people that the that, that estate ministry does bring and, and people who, who live on estates and people who work on estates will know what I mean by that. You know, they, they, there's no bull. You know, they tell you as it is. They don't, they don't um, worry about you being, you know, they don't elevate you because you're a priest. They just tell you as it is. And I, and I really appreciate that. And, and um, it's a real privilege to, to minister to these people because uh, quite often they're seen by society as, as the poor relation of society, but they've got so much to offer. You know, you see so much potential in these people. You see so much life and energy, you know, and you see, you see kids playing on the estates, like community of kids, you know, and they get a bit unruly from time to time. They might knock on a door or they might do something you know that others might seem as really bad behavior but it's a real sense of community on these states and 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 i really enjoy that so i feel very much called to that environment i, I couldn't see myself working anywhere other than that at this moment in time and where are there where is their openness to the church to the gospel to you as, as a vicar and what you represent and and where are there barriers or hurdles in terms of oh not not interested or not keen on again the gospel the church you as a vicar i think it's a really it's a really good question that sam because we we historically at st matthews have been a eucharistic church you know it's been a church that's been you know for for many years was just a church of a place where people could come and receive holy communion and um but i felt we were at the back of the curve in terms of um engagement with social injustice and things like that and so we that's where we've opened the doors as it were so I think from my own point of view you know I really look to uh, Jesus's Sermon on the Mount as a guidance for my own ministry to serve the poor and and what what I feel in my experience is that if you do that and you do it with authenticity and you work hard at it people will respond but but the payoff for that is, is that then they don't quite get um, the sacraments in the same way that other people might. So they may come to the Eucharist. Often they'll get jittery, agitated. Now I think we have to be honest that for some people, it ju- it just doesn't connect. So we have to find other ways. So we we've recently started a thing called Fun Church at St Matthew's where. We just target, we, we, we try and rather than them fit our needs or what we're offering, we try and tailor what we do to what they want. And so we we do small acts of worship, small bite-sized acts of worship with food. You know, there's a real belief at St. Matthew's that, you know, as Jesus did, you gather people around a table, you can have some wonderful conversations. And slowly but surely, I'm, I'm certainly not going to lie to anybody and say, ah, oh, our pews are packed, but we are seeing a lot of new faces, lots of different nationalities. You know, in, in our setting, we have at our school around 15 different nationalities of children, which creates its own dynamics and issues. But, you know, we, we've gone from being a very kind of a white middle class congregation to a very broad, ethnically diverse congregation. And, and I really enjoy that. You know, we we have people from the Philippines, from Estonia, Poland, um, uh, America, and and it's it's fabulous. It's fabulous. And these are all people that, for some reason, have found St. Matthew's to be a place of 
uh, where they they can perhaps call home and and that's just very very rewarding and, and satisfying i mentioned at the beginning you've been featuring a, a bbc documentary on the implications, I suppose, of COVID and obviously ministering in a place like Burnley, as you, as you mentioned, and states where there can be uh, poverty and people have, have struggles and, and you as a church are clearly trying to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. There are Christians, though, who will say, Look, that's, that's great, that's wonderful, you're, you're doing those social action projects. But, but also we as Christians have a, have a message uh, to, to bring. And this whole idea of words and actions together is that more of a challenge is it, is it is it easy to say here's our food bank or here's how we're helping the homeless especially to the bbc when they come knocking and say what's going on is it a bit harder to say yeah but the reason we do this is dot 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 dot, dot. i i i feel that uh you don't have to i, th- I think this just comes to the middle classness of the church of england you don't have to necessarily indoctrinate certainly people in an urban setting with um, biblical words. You can do it through biblical actions. So you can do it through kindness and generosity, um, compassion and empathy. And I think that gives people a glimpse of the gospel. And the way that resonates is the way they ask their questions and what they say and how, how we offer something that they've perhaps not had before in their lives remembering that quite often people in these settings have got lots of issues. The cost of living crisis is new to an urban setting. The cost of living crisis has been there for for decades. And these are kind of uh, circles of continuity where families have have gone from issues of addiction, domestic violence, of poverty. And when I say poverty, I don't just mean financial poverty, spiritual poverty, mental health poverty, all these things, you know, and... uh, there are there are clerics out there who who would say, well, this is how we deal with it. We we teach them the word, but um, because I'm not academic, I'm not going to lie to your listeners. Some of the Bible I find very difficult because it, you know for 40 years of my life I'd never picked the Bible up, and because I have dyslexia, it doesn't come easy to me. Reading reading my own book doesn't come easy to me because I, I struggle. And that's just like the people on the estates. A lot of these people have, have problems with literacy, you know, with language. And so you can't, so you have to find another way. And our way is through practical, hands-on, talking, explaining. And, and I think they see something of Jesus in that. And, and that, 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 that's fine for me at the moment. That's fine. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. You've joined us for The Profile, which is where we sit down with a different Christian each and every week to find out more about their life story. My guest today is Father Alex Frost. He is the author of a brand new book coming out later this month entitled Our Daily Bread, From Argos to the Altar, A Priest's Story. You can hear lots more coming up from Father Alex Frost right after this. Holier than thou. Radical. Delusional. Ignorant. Perfect. It's time to challenge stereotypes about Christians, and Premier Christianity is leading the way. Transform your perceptions, broaden your horizons, open your mind to wide-ranging views. Read interviews with politicians, theologians, and TV presenters. Discover the breadth of the Christian spectrum. Be provoked, react, inspired, and informed. Get the print magazine and full online access for just £4.95 a month. Subscribe today at premierchristianity.com. Premier Christianity magazine. The bigger picture. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. Welcome back to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio with me, Sam Hales. I'm in conversation today with Father Alex Frost. He is the author of a brand new book entitled Our Daily Bread, From Argos to the Altar, A Priest's Story. It's on sale from the 27th of October. You can get it wherever books are sold. In this conversation, we've been talking about Father Alex's ministry, how he was called into the church, how he became a Christian, and what he's gone on to do. 
He featured in a BBC documentary which was widely watched about the impact of the COVID lockdowns on his community in Burnley. We'll talk a bit about that in part two. We'll also talk about his podcast. It's entitled Godcast, where he interviews various well-known people about their relationship to faith. And Father Alex will also be sharing his views on inclusivity within the Church of England. So without any further ado, let's listen in to the rest of my conversation with Father Alex Frost. Tell me a bit about, I think it's Mark, who you've been uh, helping have a friendship with, who has some addiction um, problems. And and the reason I asked that is, is I don't want to talk too theoretically about your ministry. It's great to hear about personal, practical, real people who you're, who you're working with. And I know uh, that's a name that comes up, I think, in your book. So just tell, me, just tell me a couple of stories of what this looks like in practice. So Mark is a, is a, a guy similar age to me, 50-odd, raging alcoholic. He's been an addict for 30-odd years. He's spent time in prison. He's uh, been a perpetrator of violence, of drugs. He's been a victim of crime, victim of abuse. And um, he, he just rock, rocked up at church one, one Saturday at our breakfast club and asked me to pray with him, which I did. And uh, he, he randomly said, you're my angel. And I, and I said, I, I'm really not your angel, Mark. And, and um, I won't use the exact words, but he, he said, I'm effing drowning. I'm effing drowning. Can you help me? And, and at that point, it was like, well, I'll, I'll try, but I'm, I'm not too sure how I can. And um, Mark and I built a built up a friendship over the last eighteen months or so. Um, but Mark has lived in some of the most windows with you know electric, no sanitation. So he was eventually rendered homeless, and uh, I insisted on registering him as a vulnerable adult. And they they put a raging alcoholic in a pub. They housed him in a pub, which you know. Just doesn't make sense, does it? You, where would you put an alcoholic that's homeless? You put him in a pub. That's exactly what they did with Mark. And his situation just got worse and worse. He's lost a lot of weight. He He's really kind of totally dependent on alcohol. And, and he's walking a very fine line. He's recently been admitted into detox. And my hope is, and my prayer is, and I ask listeners to pray for Mark that he makes it through this detox program because there are no guarantees. He's walking a very fine line. I may never even see Mark again. He may go from detox into recovery somewhere and may never be allowed to return to Burnley. But I, but I, I really hope that me and Mark can reacquaint one, with one another because he's a this person I, I spend a lot of time worrying about. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a, He's a good man at his heart, you know. Yeah. Uh, but how do you deal with that personally, though? Because that's going to affect you emotionally as well, isn't it? So how do you cope with that when your your job requires you to be you know, ministering to people who are in some pretty desperate situations? I imagine that could be that could be quite depressing if if you if you don't handle those emotions in the right way. Well, I could give you the the standard answer and say, oh, it's all fine, uh, but it re- but it really isn't, Sam. It's very difficult. You know, Mark is just one of a number of stories in the book uh, which are really harrowing. And and, and um, I think people who read it may even find difficult to believe that they're real, but they are. And it really does take its toll on you. You know, I, I have to be very careful. And during the pandemic, you know, it almost went over the edge. Unfortunately, my wife recognised it and others did. And and I and I I sought counselling. I, I I got some counselling myself because, like you say, you know, uh, whilst we are trained and we are experienced, you know, the whole pandemic was a different level in, in terms of Burnley, you know, and uh, people saw me cry on the news and and the amount of letters and emails and correspondence from people in high and low places who were worried about me. Uh, Perhaps was a wake up call. Say so you need to just check in and make sure you're all right. And and it, but it is ongoing. You know, uh, there has been a lot of bad news in recent years, and, and there continues to be. And uh, yeah, I have to guard against that. And I, I just try and enjoy God's creation as much as I can. I love going out, walking my dogs, getting out on the hills. Burnley's got some beautiful countryside, 
And so a music again, turning to music and, 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 and really try hard to do that, but it, but it's very tough. It is. I suppose you have a front row seat to some of the problems we're facing in society, as you mentioned, result of the pandemic at the time recording, we just had what was called a mini budget, uh, which has been um, criticised by some for giving greater tax breaks to the rich. And you have some Christian charities and church leaders even. Uh, I saw over the weekend some church leaders saying, I'm preaching on this because this is a this is a biblical issue of, of poverty. I know plenty of other preachers would say, absolutely not, not going to be political in my sermons. What's your view on that, though, in terms of how you as a church leader should respond because there is a political dimension to this isn't there but in the sense that there are policies set by government that then do have a knock-on effect and affect people who you're ministering to so there is a political dimension to this but how how at liberty do you feel to go in that direction in terms of being political as a priest well well i think there's um it's a really important discussion this sam because i i've seen in recent days bishops and, and other, others come out and, and criticising governments and uh, and for every person that criticises the right, there's those who will criticise the left. But, it, but as Christian ministers, we serve neither of those parties. We serve the gospel of Jesus. And I think that, the, 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 of course, it's good to challenge. And, and through the Godcast, I've had a lot of politicians on my Godcast. But, but all I really want from my politician Sam is authenticity you know I, I look at politicians in the face and I ask them the questions and I know in my heart whether I feel they're authentic or not and I want people you know I want more politicians to come to places like Burnley and the urban estates of the country and go and meet the people you know uh, during all uh, the the coverage that we got during the pandemic and remember that 12 million people watched our piece on the BBC, not one politician uh, made contact with me, although I invited politicians to come and have a look. And, and, and I think politicians are guilty of saying what people want to hear. And I think politicians should be accountable in terms of, um, of, of being authentic. You know, I want politicians to come and see what's going on. And I've, I've said this for a number of years, if they come and see it, then they can feel it. And if they feel it in their hearts, they can feel it with maybe a way that Jesus would feel it, then I believe there'd be a, a much greater drive to actually do something about it. And, and I think politicians far often, far too often, are fighting for um, self-sustainability, self-preservation for themselves and not for others. And um, whether you're a conservative or a raging socialist, if you fall into that category, then... I don't have an awful lot of time for you other than to pray for you, encourage you to, to, to turn to a different way of thinking. Do you ever wonder uh, what you'd be doing right now if you weren't a vicar? Um, I, I feel very content being a vicar. I, I wonder how, how long my shelf life is because it is so exhausting uh, at times serving uh, certain communities, as, I, as I'm sure a lot of clerics and priests will, will feel the same. Um, if I wasn't doing this, I'd, I'd like to be playing centre forward for Burnley Football Club. But I'm <laughs> I'm 53 and <laughs> I've got <laughs> I've got raging sciatica, so that's not going to happen anytime soon. <laughs> Maybe I I don't know. Um, my theology isn't great on this either. But in the new heavens and the new earth, if there is a Burnley FC, maybe at that point your dream will come true. <laughs> we can hope. <laughs> You mentioned your podcast and um, it's really interesting to look down the name of the list of names of people you've had on that podcast, um, given that it is called, it's called Godcast, it's about God and you're, you're a vicar. There's a lot of people who you've had on who wouldn't identify as Christian, but they're, they're well known in the media or in politics. And tell me a bit more about the thinking behind it in terms of, of doing a Christian podcast, but with people who don't necessarily share your faith. Well, well I think the media like to portray uh, generally Christians as a bit like nutters you know we're all just a bunch of nutters which which couldn't be further from the truth really I think we're generally very uh, lovely kind people who, who try and follow the gospel of Jesus but but I always felt the media was really unkind to Christians and they wouldn't give them airtime and they wouldn't give them an opportunity to speak it and and 
it was just by chance that Eamon Holmes followed me on on Twitter, and I thought, well, and I, I started the Godcast in the pandemic, and and I chanced my own to see if he'd come on, and he did, and um, he was very happy to talk about his own faith experience, and then I got a few more people on who seemed very happy happy to talk about their faith experience, and I just thought, oh, people people actually want to talk about this. Most people have got some sort of even if you're a even if you are a Christian, or whether you're a Muslim or, or a Jew, or even if you're an atheist people have these questions they're out there they're thinking about them all the time and 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 being on the bbc opened a window to get some fantastic guests famously alistair campbell who who is actually forwarded my book um said i don't do god but i do the Godcast." it was like it was classic bit of marketing really but even he said you know people misrepresented me you know i'd I don't have a, he was saying, I don't have a problem that do God. It's just, I don't do God. And, and, and that's been really revealing whether it's been uh, people in the music industry or politicians or, or sports people. And it's been a real, you know, you talked about how I cope with, you know, the stress and things. The Godcast has been a great vehicle to just engage with people who, who interest me. I've just really targeted people that I think are interested in them. I have a story to tell. What's been the best day of your ministry and what's been the worst? Well, the the best day, you know, a wonderful day for me was was actually being ordained. You know, I, I really, uh, and the book tells some of the stories about how I just thought it was going to happen. I mean, I had some absolute catastrophes during, during the process. And I remember going to Warley Abbey, which is in, in the Blackburn Diocese on retreat, a few days before and thinking, oh, my goodness me. Oh, my goodness me. Uh, it's actually going to happen. And I never actually thought that hap- would happen. And, 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 and just to link that together, I met a really good friend there called Reverend Chris Kravich, who's uh, the vicar of Morecambe Parish Church. And we, we, we went on a pilgrimage to Israel together, which was just absolutely magical. At the other end, um you know, when I, that experience of crying on the television, that, that wasn't the worst that, but, but that experience that I told on there was when I visited a house that, where there was no television and there was no carpet and the family was sharing a single mattress. Uh, that was pretty low because I, I did think at that point, well, who, who cares about this family? And, and um, it was pretty grim. And, but there were quite a few days like that. You know, there's been quite a few days where I said earlier, you know, I worked for Argos for 20 years and I've seen all walks of life. But some things in the last few years have, have shocked me uh, that, that we we still in this world of ours, in this British world of ours, uh, see people living in, in the most horrendous circumstances. And, I, you know, I, and I mean horrendous, you know, where you, you wouldn't it's not fit for a dog. Some of the living standards um, and people don't do anything about it. They don't do it. You tell them, uh, but there just doesn't seem to be a, an appetite to solve some of the real problems of addiction. You know, Addic- addiction, Sam, in my parish is, is commonplace. You know, drug dealing on a street corner is commonplace. People uh, with a can of 9% strong lager on a bus stop at seven o'clock in the morning, morning is, is commonplace. That, it's horrendous. It's horrendous to see it. I see it all the time. So it's almost like a, an evolving bad day that yeah. I see. And you say there isn't the willingness to solve it. What, what, is, what is the solution? Well, you'll perhaps not be surprised for a Christian minute. Turn to the gospel of Christ. Media, give the voice of Christianity a voice. You know, uh, uh, newspapers just give us an opportunity to, you know, there's so much historical nonsense and, and hurt that's happened that, that ministers of today, you know, I, I'm deeply sorry about what happened, but I can't, can't change what happened. But I can, I can just minister in a way that I think is the correct way to minister, to be kind and humble and generous. That's what we need. That's what society needs, you know, and, but. And, and I think Christians need to be more confident. They need to get out there and, and tell that story in a way that is palatable, that people understand, that people can connect with, that they believe 
And if you do that, we've got half a chance, but we are fighting a huge battle against this uh, secular world where Christianity in the UK is, is, you know, we've got very low attendance in the Church of England. And, the, you know, so it's a huge question mark whether that is, is irreversible or not, uh, sorry, reversible or not. And only time will tell, but we, we need to get our house in order. We need to be, a, a, and I know people will dis disagree with this, but we need to be a, a, a welcoming, inclusive institution in the church. And if we do that, we, we have a fighting chance. But, but I understand others would disagree with that. I don't think anyone would disagree that we should be a welcoming church. Um, you use the word inclusion. And I know that for you personally, you, you take an affirming view on LGBT relationships. I know that element will, will, as you know, as well as I do, there's disagreement in the church on that issue. But in terms of being welcoming to all, I would hope that all Christians can agree in terms of who comes through the front door. We absolutely should be welcoming them. Well, it doesn't always happen, though, does it? We welcome them in, but then we kind of we quickly turn them on their heels because we don't give them something that they can kind of grip to. You know, uh, uh, you know, I don't have a, a, a checklist of requirements for any of my congregation, and never will have. And uh, you know, my we have a my associate priest uh, uh, is LGBT, and uh, there was some doubts about her coming. I just ask people to judge her, uh, not on what what she was but what she did and i'm delighted that people have really warmed to that and and uh she's a she's an inspirational cleric to me and, and to many in our congregation in terms of that divide on on sexuality in the church would you agree that there has to be a decision made one way or the other because at the moment you have those who say we feel like our biblical position is that that two people of the same sex sex within that category is is unbiblical and is immoral and you have other people saying well we looked at the scriptures and, and we think that we should be completely affirming of of gay and lesbian people across the boards and you, you have these two factions who are not going to agree let's face it and you have a church that's sort of stuck in the middle with trying to say well we can all be in the same church but as you've just alluded to this does have real world consequences in terms of well who who can minister can you serve isn't the church just going to have to make a decision one way or the other? Yeah, well, you can't keep kicking the can down the road, can you? You know, and that's what we—that's what it appears we're to do. And, you know, I'm a member of General Synod, and there's been a, a lot of noise around uh, living in love and faith. I, I made a decision not to engage with living in love and faith, not that I don't believe it's a good concept, but I just thought it was just another way to kick the can down the road. And uh, you're right, there are, there are, you know, I've got friends who hold a, a radically different opinion to me, and I accept that. I accept that. And it's about finding a way where we can both uh, minister in a place where we can both hold our views. I think we potentially want to make it very difficult, you know, but we have this struggle with, with uh, women uh, and being ordained, but, but we, we have a place now in the church where those who affirm women's ministry can and those who don't, don't have to we have to get to that place and uh i will continue to uh champion the inclusive agenda because i believe it's the the way forward I, I really genuinely don't have a problem with somebody who holds a different view i'm fine with that that if that's what you believe and you believe that with integrity god bless you and you have my support to believe that but I have a right to believe what I believe, what I understand theologically as well. And um, we may get to a point where we, we, the decision is taken out of our hands because people just don't come to church anymore. And that would be the greatest travesty of all. It was interesting to, to look at the churches that are growing in the country at the moment, though. And it was notable that the church movements that are growing were... They were Vineyard, they were Redeemed Christian Church of God, New Frontiers. And traditionally, actually, to, to use the language you've just used, traditionally not affirming in terms of the LGBT, and yet they're growing. So do you really think it's the case that if the church wing doesn't become affirming, that it would that that in itself would would lead to decline? I think it, it depends where you get the statistics from. You know, we're Burnley is a very small town, very provincial. We're not, we're not an, a, a, a city. We're not even in a city kind of setting. We're just Burnley. We're a town. And, and I can only go off what my experience is. 
you know, and 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 I think there may be a question in places where these churches are growing is is the is the social demographic and the diversity of a community. You know, you know, I I I don't feel it's my I don't want to put the boot into conservative evangelical churches. I don't want to put the boot into people who've got a different view. I just want to say, you're entitled to your view. It's not my view. It's not how I believe Jesus calls us to serve. And I I say that with authenticity and honesty. Somebody, you know, I, I do get phone calls from time to time from people telling me that I'm I'm going to hell and I'm 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 barking completely the wrong tree and I need to go and read the scriptures. But I say that with honesty and integrity and 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 I'm sorry if that offends anybody, but uh, I feel that that God's leading me to these opportunities that have been created. There's, you know, I feel that God's leading this opportunity where we've been able to help lots of people in our community because we're on the telly, that it's given me a voice to proclaim the gospel through my book. I might be completely wrong. I might be on a one-way ticket to somewhere they suggest, but it doesn't feel like that at the moment. Tell me more about the the brand new book. It's called Our Daily Bread. Some of your story, I suppose. Um, I think the subtitle is, is it from Argos to the altar? Um, the altar, from Argos to the altar. So a bit more detail about your story and what you're up to. But what are your hopes uh, for the book as it's released? What are you hoping it will achieve? Well, the, the book is about, you know, how I became a minister. Like I said, I spent 20 years working for Argos in, in a completely different world to church never believing I would become a priest. So there's there's some of those tales in there and tales of my aspirations to be a stand-up comic. But but fundamentally, Sam, it's a, it's a book about people on the urban estates. It's about the marks of this world. Um, and there's a there's a character, she's not a character, she's a real person, but I, I call her Jenny Swears a lot because Jenny swears a lot. Uh, it's about her story and it's about um, a family in there called the Devlins who lost... Um, a daughter in Islamabad last year at the age of 27 and she was never returned to the UK. And uh, it's about that. So it's about real stories. Uh, And my hope for the book is that it is a proclamation of the gospel. That's my only hope is that people hear and learn and read something about Jesus in a language that they can find accessible. And that's my only hope for the book. Well, it looks like you're off to a great start because if someone such as Alistair Campbell is endorsing it, who, as you said, famously said, we don't do God. Um, if he's endorsing it, then um, then that, that shows it really is going to reach a wide a wide audience of those who need to hear that gospel message. So um, congratulations on the new book. It's uh, Our Daily Bread by Father Alex Frost. Father Alex, thank you so much for joining us on the show. It's been a real pleasure. You're listening to The Profile. Thank you so much for listening to the Profile Podcast this week. It's been wonderful to have your company. This podcast is brought to you in association with the UK's leading Christian magazine. That is Premier Christianity, the magazine that I edit. And we have been hard at work over the last few weeks producing a very special tribute edition to Her Late Majesty the Queen Elizabeth II. Our latest issue features a wealth of articles all about the Queen's faith. And we don't want you to miss it. If you'd like to get a hold of a copy, please head to our website now, premierchristianity.com. There has been huge interest and huge demand for this issue of the magazine, as you might suspect. And I don't want you to miss out. So please do head to premierchristianity.com to snap up the last few copies that we have of that rather historic issue of the magazine and we have got some excellent subscription deals just for you premierchristianity.com is the place to go to take advantage of that thank you for listening to this week's episode of the profile we'll be back same time same place next week with another great conversation for you see you then